Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's show is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that helps companies grow online. So if your company's feeling stuck or you don't know where to go with your online marketing, driving users to your site, or growing your bottom line, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us, book a free consultation, and they will be able to help you out. All right. Today, I'm sitting with a guest that's uh, really, really impressive, and I like his story. His name is Alfonso de la Nuez, but the thing that impressed me the most is, you know, he, he came from Madrid over to Silicon Valley and bootstrapped up a company. The company's called UserZoom. It's a UX insights company. But to bootstrap a company and to have success is something and stories that aren't celebrated enough, in my opinion, when we're in our tech and marketing space. So anytime we get a company that's bootstrapped and is brought up as to be a success, I think we should really, really lean in and hear those stories. Also, we talk about just the importance of user experience and experience really as a growth mechanism. So looking how to use and how to analyze your customer's experience to fuel your growth of your company. So really, really interesting conversation. It was a pleasure to talk with Alfonso. And I hope you learn as much from this conversation as I did. All right, let's enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting with Alfonso De La Nuez. He is a co-CEO and co-founder at userzoom.com, which is a user experience insights platform group company. Alfonso, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. So something about your story that I want you to walk me through, because as I've learned online, you started your company in a very unusual way compared to other people we've had on the show. You actually bootstrapped it, but not only bootstrapped it, you bootstrapped that in Spain. Walk me through bootstrapping the company and then you know growing and actually coming over to the U.S. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very proud of what we were able to accomplish. And looking back, uh, you know, it was not easy. So basically, the three co-founders of UserZoom also co-founded a previous startup. So this is my second startup. And it was mostly based on uh, services, professional services or a consulting model. And we did similar things than what we do with UserZoom, but we were doing it all manually in a lab, in a physical lab. They're called usability testing labs. And so we were able to expand that business. It was very much a lifestyle business, okay? We were like like 30 to 40 people and based out of Madrid and Barcelona. And then over time, we realized that, you know, being in the lab all day uh, to test uh, websites and apps, you know, it's, it's actually not a lot of fun because it's very repetitive and very, very manual. So kind of the opposite of scalable, so to speak. And even though we were doing pretty well, you know, and that's already a success, right? That you can create your your first business and you're making a living out of it. But the fact is that it wasn't scalable. And we thought, you know, what if we could use software and the internet to to a scale, to automate the process of doing user research and usability testing and use software and the internet to be able to scale it, to offer it as a SaaS platform. And we're talking 2007, you know, so over a decade ago. And so what we did is we said, well, back then, other than the iPhone and a couple of other great uh, UX examples, UX for digital products was a nice to have, was a nice thing to have, right? It was mostly the work of a designer that was going to make it pretty and, and cool. Unlike today, where great UX is a competitive advantage and it's 
you know, a great part, a great strategic part of your overall customer experience strategy. So it's become much, much bigger. But back then, you know, we thought, why don't we build this product? We called it user zoom. And we thought about it mostly as a product that we could use internally as consultants to provide the service and make, you know, have better, better margins in our business. And we didn't think that it was going to be a big business and we didn't think it was going to be a big market opportunity, you know, so it wasn't fundable uh, per se, you know, by a VC. So what we did is we used um, all kinds of ways to uh, basically fund the business, you know, the, the MVP and the go to market and actually myself and my family moving over to the US back in 2009. So what we did is we basically used some of the profits from the consulting business, one. Two, we actually tried to get government grants. You know, we, we fought really hard for that one and we actually got it. We went to the bank to ask for a loan. We had some business angels and fools, especially fools. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, last but not least, once we had actually customers and revenue, we went to a family office in Spain, in Barcelona, who gave us you know, about a million and a half dollars. And so you put it all together and we were able to get going all the way up to about 15 million in bookings uh, within the next uh, seven years. So basically, uh, actually even less than that. So I moved here in 2009, we had that capital. And by 2014, 2015, we were able to get to about 15 million in bookings, about 12 in, in revenue, mostly uh, recurring revenue with a SaaS model. That was very, very difficult to do, as you can imagine. You know, some of the key things to highlight about it is the fact that, you know, we were very, very careful with expenses. We didn't have money. So if you don't have money, you act and you make decisions very differently than if you have money. So, you know, it requires a lot of sacrificing. It requires just being extremely, extremely efficient, capital efficient. I had a very hard time, I got to say, from a personal perspective, leaving Spain, not knowing what was going to happen, living in the Silicon Valley. There was a lot of uncertainty and it was hard, but we persevered, we made it through. We had the right product, right market opportunity. And finally, you know, we made it all the way through 2015, which is the year when we raised, it's going to be about five years, actually next month, when we raised the large uh, Series A. And now we are where we are, which we can, we can talk in a minute. <laughs> but that's Unreal. the story. One, being really, really lean with capital, you know, making decisions probably, you know, comes from the fact that you had a previous business beforehand, which was a lifestyle business, right? Where you had to take into account what the finances were, make decisions. And then, you know, when you're stepping into the software game and you don't have a massive raise and you're conscious of the expenses, okay, we don't have the money. So we need to be really, really tactical with where we spend it. Two, there's another component that's often overlooked. Damon John, the founder of FUBU, he wrote a book called The Power of Broke. And in that book, he talks about how immigrants are 60% more likely to start a business. And it's because when they go somewhere, they go all in. And it's a, it's interesting. I say that as myself, who I moved to the States in 20, uh, 2014 now. And it's interesting when you when you leave your family and friends and you kind of put your back against the wall, you know, you're really forced to to fight out of the corner um, mm -hmm. and you start to find different ways to make things work and i just seen that personally and then i you know i read it in the book and then hear your story and hear it over and over and over again and it's something that's really interesting it's true and i can tell you when you talk about being you know between a sword and the wall right or or between a heart between a rock and a hard place in my case, you also add the fact that 2008 was a, you know, other than the pandemic we have right now, it was one of the worst economic periods, right? So what happened was that Spain actually didn't recover from 
the 2008 economic crisis well until like 2015. The U.S. was much faster, especially Silicon Valley, to get out of that uh, recession. But going back to Spain in 2010, 11, you know, going back to Spain in those years would have been absolute suicide. It would have been even worse. We had to make this decision that even if we struggled here economically and we had a lot of uncertainty, it was going to be extremely difficult to go back to Spain and try to have you a better living there. You know? Yeah, that was tough. It's so interesting. And it's just something I think that, you know, listeners can take away and understanding exactly the climate you're in economically and where is the best chance to succeed. And then how can you instill that mindset, you know, in yourself in different ways. So to like say, okay, we're going to try some different things where I'm more motivated. This is I'm going all in. And I can see you know, I have this big hill in front of me, but I know that there's there's good on the other side, or at least I'm going to hope and keep moving up the hill. Switching gears a bit, you know, or a lot. Um, <laughs> talk to me. User experience is something that we've touched on on this show. But, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording and just talking about how it's such an important part of the marketing mix and oftentimes overlooked. You know, we focus on driving traffic, driving traffic to websites, getting a ton of people to see the brand somewhere. But then at least in my experience, I've seen a big drop off where then we actually don't look at, okay, how do they use the website once they get there? Or how do they use the products once they get in there? So talk to me really about about some of the things or commonalities that you see amongst companies that could really benefit from you know, a UX audit and, and UX insights. Is there something that is a common theme that you see in the marketplace? Yes. Uh, there's a concept that I absolutely admire and love, really have passion for it. It's a concept called product-led growth. So uh, basically what this means is that instead of pouring resources into marketing and sales, which we all know, even in the digital era, they're still expensive, right? And somewhat inefficient. The point of product-led growth is let the product, given that, by the way, digital is the way everybody interacts with brands today, right? Especially through COVID. I mean, we all know how much things have changed. But, you know, in general, companies are digital experience companies, right? Even a UPS or uh, certainly a retailer like IKEA, you know, is definitely going through digital transformation. And so what's happening is that instead of pouring resources into, into sales and marketing folks, what you do is you say, I'm going to build the best product that's going to be actually, is going to make our customers, is going to turn them into into absolute fanatics that are going to sell for me. And how are they going to sell for me? Well, they're going to they're going to recommend you to others. And if it's a corporation or an enterprise, they're actually going to be sharing the experience with everybody else. And so you're going to expand, land and expand, right? You're going to expand by pr producing this amazing experiences. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, we ourselves in users room have uh, enterprise sales people that want to introduce the product, but they're actually kind of like advisors. They're domain experts that talk about and, and, and focus on content and focus on benefits. You know, telling the users today, customers and users that you're really cool is not enough. You got to prove that the product works really, really well. And this is for B2B and for B2C. You know, once again, you look at, for instance, companies like Grubhub or DoorDash, of course, certainly Airbnb, Uber and Lyft. Those are all the guys that, that basically own the glass or the surface or the UI, you know? They, don't, they may not have hotels, they may not have cars, they may not have restaurants, but they actually have the value of the customer relationship and how, how valuable is that, right? So what we're seeing with product-led growth is that in order to expand and grow with the product being the, the focus and the center of the expansion and the sales and the growth of revenue, you actually make the product an amazing experience. 
Now, how do you do that? Well, you don't do that just by adding some pretty pictures. You know, products are extremely, digital products are extremely complex. If you look at how websites are built, especially the, the large, you know, heavy content websites, you'll see that they're extremely, extremely interactive. There's multiple flows, workflows and user flows, and you got to meet the, the user, the end user, exactly where their expectations are. And guess what? Their expectations are off the roof. You know, they don't like one brand or the other. They choose one brand and they actually will change and shift the brand. They're not really loyal. They're loyal to convenience, ease of use, and usability. I mean, it's just, it's a huge part of the success of businesses out there. So you'll notice that McKinsey and company and, and Harvard Business Reviews and a lot of the more so-called business-oriented publications and people are actually, or even Gartner and Forrester. What, they're, what they've been saying in the last few years is, hey, if you are design-centric and, and if you focus your attention on building great experiences rather than you know investing in heavy marketing campaigns, you're actually you're actually competing in the market and you're beating your competitors in the stock market, you know, in the public markets, actually. What they've done is they've done an analysis of these companies and how they've performed over the last five years. And they see that those that have invested in design and research and UX experts and professionals are actually outperforming their, their uh, peers. And so that's what really what, what, what design is about. What we do at UserZoom is empower those design and product, digital product team leaders and members to collect actionable insights that are needed to design and deliver great experiences because it's not easy. Trust me, I mean, you either have a Steve Jobs in your team or it's going to be very, very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the best things you can do is do is do user research and, and usability testing. 100%. And you even see that, right? So when it comes to letting product-led marketing, right, and product-led growth. So obviously, when you look at like hardware, Apple, you know, Steve Jobs came out and said, oh, we need to send our stuff out fully charged. Because remember back in the day, we'd have to go, you open something or a kid opens a toy on Christmas, they open it up and it says battery sold separately and then they can't play with their toy. The user experience was was broken at that point. Mm -hmm. And Steve Jobs said, we're going to send out all of our stuff fully charged. So boom, I can open it up. I start playing with it. One of the other things there that I find interesting, you know, in today's world, in a digital, a digital space, one of the companies that I think really has grown by just amazing product design would be like Slack versus the competitors out there such as Skype or Atlassian's old product HipChat, which they ended up retiring. I remember yeah. our whole company was on HipChat and someone said, oh, you got to try Slack. We tried it for about six minutes and I said, the whole company is using Slack now. Move over, <laughs> like pay the price. I know that <laughs> that was in 2015 or something. And mm -hmm. that's not an experience that's unique to me. It was, oh, this is just so much better. And I couldn't even quantify it to you why I liked it so much more. But when I take a step back, I say it made my life easier. It helped me with the problems I struggled with. So context switching with communication, spending too much time in email, all of that. But at the end of the day, it comes back to principles that, you know, Jay Abram sells and, and talks about, which is you are not buying a drill. No consumer is buying a drill. We're buying the hole it creates mm -hmm. and looking at, okay, how can these tools help me to my end goal and help me get through something that I'm struggling with, right? Whether that's project management, uh, texting app, what, whatever the, the product is, social media, scheduling, design, it doesn't matter. Um, yep. it, it's taking those principles. I think it's so, um, I think it's often overlooked. And I think it's so crucial. But it's changing. It's often overlooked, but I can tell you that based on our, our size and our growth trajectory, uh, you know, we're 
we're going to be past uh, 50 million ARR, you know, this year. So it's far from what we were <laughs> considering back when we were in Spain. I can tell you that, you know, it's become a, a sensible business. And, you know, companies are giving us, you know, million dollar accounts uh, or a uh, million dollar budgets. They're not doing that because they like you. They are doing that because they think it's essential, you know. So it is often overlooked. But at the same time, I will tell you that, you know, if you look at the way software is being built today with agile development principles and, you know, being very user-centric. UX and research and, and building great UX and being user-centric is also a way to de-risk the development process. You know, no longer would you build something and just try to throw it on the wall and hope it sticks. You're going to have a ton of uh, feedback and understanding whether this is working or not during the design stages. And so what you see is that the design leaders and the design professionals, and by the way, let me say, let me clarify, when I say design I'm talking design with big D, considering that there is it's not just visual design, but it's also interaction design or functional design, completely different skills, okay, and roles in the design process. One is more graphic. The other one is much more how things work, right, which is, again, one of the things that Steve Jobs really cared about. And so what you're seeing is that those guys are actually hot commodities. I recommend you to read the last letter that Andreessen Horowitz put together when they invested, I think it was $50 million in Figma which is a design tool that has been doing a phenomenal job in the last couple of years. And what they say is, they call it the decade of design. Andreessen Horowitz, right? So he's, Mark Andreessen was quoted with this software is eating the world back in 2012 or 13 or whatever it was. And now they write a, a decade of design ahead of us. And they explain very well what we had in mind, to be honest with you, a decade ago, which is, hey, the front end, you know, when, when you're going digital, you have to have enterprise, especially in the enterprise, enterprise great back end, but consumer grade front end. And you got to really work on the UX, on the way that users interact. Well, with time, we're finding out that it's not easy to do that. And design pros are now having, you know, they're getting seats on the table, on the board of directors. They're getting a lot more attention and they're building teams, larger teams of designers and researchers that work on the front end. So it's changing uh, quite a bit. I can tell you that, Jordan. No, yeah, it, may, it makes sense. And it's one of those things, like you said, enterprise, an enterprise product, but with a consumer facing experience. And that's because it's people. I've always had a, a qualm with people, you know, separating B2B and B2C when at the end of the day, I'm always like, we're talking to a person and a person has to use this. Yeah. Whether that's whether that's me when I go to the store or me when I clock into work, I'm still me having to use the product. <laughs> so I think that they're not as mutually as exclusive, you know, as they're previously taught to be. I think no, there's no. a lot more crossover. Yeah, think about, here's another example, not so much on UX, but in general with what you're saying about, you know, human or about person having experiences. I think another great example that to me was a huge market validation, and honestly, I was actually very happy to hear this story, is SAP buying Qualtrics for $8 billion, right? This was like a couple of years ago. And, you know, I was a big fan, I still am a big fan of, of Qualtrics and what they did with the survey and engine and the survey, you know, moving over from a survey to experience management. Basically, what Ryan Smith, the, the, the CEO and founder was saying is, look, you need to understand people, you need to understand why the experience, the quality of the experience. And so you need to ask people through surveys. And, you know, there's multiple ways to go about it. We do it, we do it our own way, you know, with product UX and usability testing, which is a very specific type of research. But they do it with, again, asking the, pers the person, to your point, these are humans that are using your software. Humans are building the software and humans are using the software. So the key here is, and by the way, the software or the product or the service, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be, it could be 
you know, how satisfied are you with the airline, you know, or, or with whatever product or service. It's about not just making people adjust to you, to the product or to the, uh, to the company, but the other way around. The company has to really keep in focus on the experience, the customer experience. In our case, it's more the user experience because we work a lot more on the pre-life stages when users are not customers yet. But that's how you should build. You, you know, at the end of the day, those people that you're talking about, Jordan, we have more power than we've ever had. If I go to Best Buy, like I did this weekend, I go with my phone, and if somebody is trying to tell me that this monitor is better than the other one, I'm going to tell them, well, guess what? I did my research just here on my phone, and I can see that this is better, this price is too high. All of this information that you have in the palm of your, of your hand, immediate access, that makes you, the person, extremely, extremely powerful, educated buyer. So the brand has to adjust to all this by making it extremely simple and easy to buy from you and to continue uh, you know, building the relationship. I think that at the end of the day, UX is all about understanding this, <laughs> you know, understanding the social media is out there for brands to, to get uh, either heavily criticized or praised. And if you do that and you understand that, then you kind of shift your strategy and you, a lot of the old school you know, strategies just simply don't work anymore. You know, it's, it's one of these things, right? Uh, we will all be told until the day we die that we need to become better listeners and companies are no different. And mm -hmm. to me, UX insights are a way to listen and they're a way That's to right. listen to your consumer and to say, oh, we hear you and we're going to make right. these adjustments. And if you're a small business owner listening to this and you're like, hey, I don't have, you know, a million dollar budget or this or that, just take that, take that note right there and say, listen to your consumer, look at how they use your website, use Google Analytics, t bounce around, see what's going on, talk to some people and make the changes. I think it can be super powerful for, you know, not only enterprise, but small business as well. If you're a small business, you know, to the point about the million dollar, the million dollar was the point that I made on few of the enterprises that are really investing in this. The, the fact is that if they improve the conversion ratios or, you know, uh, if they reduce churn or whatever, these companies can actually return way more than a million dollars, right? With their, with their properties that they're optimizing. So that, that's why it makes sense. But if you look at small businesses or even entrepreneurs like myself, I always thought, you know, if I could go back, I would invest more money right now in the initial years into research and testing and design versus marketing because i think that that's how you do marketing today that's the best and most effective marketing investment that you make and by the way to your point google analytics is free there's a ton of little survey companies like SurveyMonkey, you know and other voice of customer you know listening tools and then in user zoom by the way we actually acquired a company last year called validately and they were actually going to the mid-market and you know they have a ton of companies that are paying them are paying us now, you know, sub $5,000 a year to still be able to get this test in place. There's no excuse anymore because of the automation of the software. There's tons of options to be listening in uh, versus in the past when you had to really invest a lot of money and only the big players could afford it. I 100% agree. And listeners, you got it right there. So it's time to take UX more seriously. Alfonso, before I let you go, let people know where they can find out more about user Zoom and connect online. Yeah, so UserZoom has a website that has a ton of resources. So one of the things we did as part of your of the comments we made earlier on, on efficient capital spending was to focus on content rather than ads or, or anything. Really posted a lot of content. And a lot of it was written by myself and the other founders at the beginning. Today, we have the marketing team focus on that. So you'll, you, if you go to userzoom.com under resource, well, obviously you see what we can do, but also under resources, you'll see a ton of 
how to's, tips and tricks, et cetera, et cetera. And then if you just Google, you know, UX testing or UX optimization, you have a ton of magazines and, and content out there in a medium and there's a lot of content on how to do this and it should be no problem. But userzoom.com could be a great uh, way to start. Awesome. Thank you so much. Alfonso, thank you again for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much for reaching out and having me. Awesome, guys. That is it for the episode. If you like this show, do me a favor, share it with a friend or a colleague. Also, hit like, share, subscribe at the bottom of your podcast app, and I'll catch you next time. Um.